please join us for the sixth episode of I Dream of Genie. The Yacht Murder Case. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, am I? Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, our podcast about magical shows from the 1960s. I'm Molly. And I'm Frank. And you're joining us for the sixth episode of I Dream of Genie, The Yacht Murder Case. But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. Captain Tony Nelson unwittingly volunteers to escort the wealthy and influential P.J. Ferguson and his beautiful daughter Nina during their visit to Cocoa Beach. Jeannie is disappointed because this means that she can't go on a moonlight drive as Tony promised. When Jeannie is freed from her vacuum cleaner prison by Tony's housekeeper, Mrs. Flaherty, she finds Tony relaxing with the scantily clad Nina. Ferguson and his daughter witness Jeannie disappearing after a stern argument with her master on the deck of their yacht. They conclude that Tony must have killed Jeannie by tossing her overboard. Excellent. All righty. Uh. <laughs> Where do we start? Right at the beginning. All right. This episode begins as many episodes do with Tony eating his breakfast. For some reason in this episode, Jeannie doesn't seem to have had anything to do with the breakfast, which is a little confusing to me. Yeah, it's amazing. He seems to have actually prepared his breakfast for himself. I don't know. I wonder if they really thought that through. There's many things in this episode that I'm not sure they really thought through. Tony is absentmindedly reading the paper while eating. There is a gigantic wooden salt shaker and a gigantic wooden pepper mill on the table in front of him. Jeannie moves her bottles in such a way that he would accidentally use the bottle as a pepper mill. They had to get really big salt and pepper shakers to make this work. They must have imported them from Italy or something. Nobody used those in those days. (laughs) They're comically oversized. They are industrial grade, like they belong in a restaurant of some sort. Yes. Restaurant kitchen, really. Tony realizes halfway through that he's opening Jeannie's bottle but then smiles and continues to open it. So that's kind of interesting. He keeps her locked up all the time. I mean, that whole part of this thing is like, ugh. Gross. I know, so gross. Good morning, Master. Good morning, Jeannie. You hungry? Mm, Yes. Help yourself anything you like. He says that she can have some breakfast. She can have anything she wants. And she wraps her arms around his neck and gives him a big hug. And he announces that... (laughs) I'm not on the menu. Try the sausage, huh? Always the cat and mouse game. (sighs) Yeah. He has to get to work. She's very upset about it because she's always alone. Thou art always away slaving. Mm. Say, tell you what. Tonight, when it's really good and dark, why don't I take you for a long drive on the beach? How about that? That sounds wonderful. And then she asks, What shall I do all day? And it is the most piteous question. 
Well, you'll think of something. Goodbye, Jeannie. I'll see you tonight. Ugh. When she can't restrain him from going to the door by pulling on his jacket, she makes him walk in slow motion so she can watch him leave slowly from behind. Yeah, she's watching his tiny, invisible, non-existent white ass that's buried underneath the gigantic boxy suit that he's wearing. You know, he has an ass pad in a later scene that I really want to point out when that comes (laughs) up. That is crazy. You wait until we get there. All right. He's treating her like a like a Pokemon, like his little pocket monster. Yes, even before pocket monsters were invented. But he doesn't even have to feed her or anything like that. Because of the very nature of this mission, we're not going to force anyone to accept this assignment. We're asking for a volunteer. He walks in late to a meeting where all these astronauts of similar rank, I assume, are sitting on their hands when the commander is asking them to volunteer for this mission. Gentlemen, I don't mind telling you I am bitterly disappointed. Surely there must be one among you willing to undertake this assignment? Uh, Sir, I don't understand what this is all about, but I'd like to... Thank you, Captain Nelson. Report immediately to General Fletcher's office. (laughs) Uh, Fred, what's this? uh, Fred? Tony walks in and says some pleasantry that ends up being taken as a yes, and everyone runs out of the room, leaving Tony volunteering for this horrible mission. This is confusing. (laughs) NASA is apparently full of cowards. It just flips from one thing to another. I'm not really sure why that's there. I mean, why couldn't he have just been assigned to do this? Because first it's horrible, and now all of a sudden it's going to be wonderful because it involves a beautiful girl, and then it's going to be, I don't know. I just can't keep up with the roller coaster of emotions I'm supposed to be feeling here. <laughs> a guided tour? You must be joking, General. I, I understood this to be an important mission. P.J. Ferguson is the president of the largest aerospace firm in the country. He has served as a technical consultant to NATO. And Senator Kane of the Armed Forces Appropriations Committee is his closest friend. Are you reading me, Captain? He gets the mission explained to him, and it's basically to hang out with this man and his daughter, who are big investors, which shows you that the Republicans were around even then. (laughs) You have to cater to the big investors, and it's just as important as any top-secret mission they might have to go on. Loud and clear, sir. Mr. Ferguson and his family are cruising on their yacht. They stopped by here just for today, and he specifically suggested a bright young astronaut for the tour. You are a bright young astronaut, are you not, Captain? I always thought I was, sir, until I volunteered for this assignment. (laughs) The Fergusons are here, General. The African-American secretary, who is, again, just doing a regular job, not acting like some African-American trope, which I have to say I really like, she ushers in P.J. Ferguson and Nina. I don't intend to... Go back on my words, sir. I'll be glad to conduct the tour. Good man. <laughs> DJ Bell. This is Captain Tony Nelson. Captain. How do you do, Mr. Ferguson and Miss Ferguson? And ta-da! Nina walks in with the hat of a lifetime. <laughs> Nina is wearing an absurd hat that makes her look like Buster Brown. Yes. It's like a giant disc <laughs> surrounding her face. It's bright orange. I think it's made of straw. It's doing her no favors. No. She's already very, very short. She barely comes up to Tony's shoulder. And that gigantic hat just makes her look even smaller and more childlike. 
And it ties under the neck. Yeah. That is a child thing. Captain Nelson, I never thought we'd get you. It's a privilege. Oh, it's my privilege and an unexpected pleasure. There's a lot to talk about here, but one of the things that is most striking to me is the weird relationship between this father and daughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Been looking forward to this tour, Captain. Wanted to see how our latest component parts are working out. I'd be happy to show you around, sir. Mm, not, not too uh, technical, Father. Remember, this is still a pleasure trip. <laughs> so she does come in looking kind of childlike. Maybe she's supposed to be so beautiful because she's young. I don't think she's beautiful at all. No, that's exactly what Brian and I said. She, I mean, she's a <laughs> lovely girl for this time. She's cute at best. Right, an ordinary college co-ed who's not allowed to wear too much makeup. She dresses like a kid. She acts like a kid. She's a kid, but all the men, including Tony, react as if they're immediately smitten with her. Yes. It's kind of creepy. It's very creepy. It makes me almost think that they wrote the script for this and then didn't think to go back and change some of the details after they had cast the part. Who is the actress? The actress who plays Nina is Sharon Farrell. She was in a ton of things. I remember her best from a great B-horror movie called Night of the Comet. She played an evil stepmother in that. But like most of the population of the Earth, she gets incinerated by a passing comet in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. She must have been much older then. She was, but recognizable. She was very well kept. She's very cute. She's very gamine. She's kind of puckish looking and winsome, but not sexy. What's gamine? I don't even know that word. It's often a word that they use to describe young Audrey Hepburn when Audrey Hepburn had a very boyish haircut. Boy, I feel guilty. I should have tipped poor Tony off when he came in. It's not your fault he wanted to be a hero. I know, but it's a lousy assignment he got hung up with. Miss Ferguson? Uh-uh, watch it, guys. This is a group of the walking wounded. Shock, you know. <laughs> So now we're in the hallway and all these doofuses who were unwilling to volunteer are staring at Tony and they just can't believe it. They're agog with egg on their faces because they wish they could be escorting that weird midget child. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just shows this hodgepodge of a tour where she's just hanging on Tony's arm. Stock footage. Right away, P.J. Ferguson talks to Tony's commander when they return from the tour about what great engineering ideas Tony displayed on this tour. This young man has real engineering savvy, Bill. Made some interesting suggestions. Don't get any ideas, P.J. We intend to keep him. You know, he's a famous astronaut. Why would he want to go work for an engineering company in the prime of his career? It's like asking a movie star to come and work at a coffee shop. (laughs) Oh, I'd like you and your staff on board the Nina tonight for cocktails. We're sailing in the morning. Thank you. I'll pass out the word. You will be there, won't you, Tony? Mm Mm-hmm. Father and daughter, both smitten with Tony. They must have him. Yes. Weird. I'm sorry, Nina. I've made other plans. Oh. Nothing that can't be changed, I'm sure. Well, I did promise someone else, sir, and... You wouldn't put pleasure before duty, would you, Captain? Especially since this duty is such a pleasure. Yes, sir. I'll be there. She'll understand. 
I thought that next scene was very nicely shot. We see Tony from Jeannie's point of view, and then immediately a reverse angle shot of Jeannie from Tony's point of view. Jeannie is going full poltergeist. Yes. She's using her magic to fling the contents of his bookshelves at him. She actually doesn't look angry. She looks like she's demonically enjoying it. She's smiling. It's not clear to me why she doesn't just sink the yacht. (laughs) But, you know, whatevs. But you don't understand. You promised to take me to the beach tonight, but instead you would rather go out on someone's yacht. Well, I was ordered to. It's, it's business. Ha! Then I will go with you. I am very good at business. Oh, no, you won't. And who is to stop me? I am. <laughs> Tony traps Jeannie in the vacuum cleaner, which is a perfect metaphor for her domestic servitude. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry about this, Jeannie. Your old master has a little modern magic up his sleeve. (laughs) Now you're going to stay at home tonight like a good girl. So the next scene is the dancing. And wow, is that some dancing. We're at the nighttime yacht party. And I was so happy to be in a new location that isn't the dreary Air Force Base or Tony's house. But it's a lot of priapic old men dancing with Nina. It is so weird and awkward and so <laughs> to this period. You'd never see men dance like this again. Is the goal here to make Roger and Tony look especially delectable, considering that all the male options are these elderly, elderly men? Maybe. They're doing the monkey. They're doing the Watusi. All through this, Nina's demeanor is frenetic and childish. She's just like she's on speed compared to everyone else in the scene. Tony! Captain Roger Healy, this is Nina. Wow, if you're the Nina, I'd love to see what the pet in the Santa Maria look like. Matt, Captain Healy calls for champagne. Follow me. To the ends of the earth. Tony and Roger arrive, and right away she pours them some champagne. Well, she dumps her dance partner just without even saying a word. She sort of she, slaps him on the chest and runs away. She ghosts him. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. The next scene is Roger making an ass of himself with a beautiful young lady. Nothing new? Nothing new. So here she is, beautiful young lady. She seems rather elegant White opera gloves. Yes, and she has a large jeweled necklace. Mm-hmm. Very classic strapless dress. Her hair is in a very classic Jackie O style, but she's blonde. Big fishbowl. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, she is married and Roger has been barking up the wrong tree. Well, yes, that's true. But just to stay on this for another moment. Yeah, please. First of all, she doesn't say a thing. Roger just bumbles along, making a fool of himself, takes out a cigarette for him and for her. And oh, yeah. Starts to light him. And then, oh, and your favorite, Dr. Bellows shows up here briefly. Oh, the tiniest of appearances. He makes fun of Roger and his one-liners. And Roger's preparing to pull that really smooth move from that Betty Davis movie, Now Voyager, where the man, was it Charles Boyer, lights up the two cigarettes in his mouth and hands one of the lit cigarettes over to her. It's very, very romantic. It's very cool. Which, of course, just makes him look ridiculous because then a man walks up behind her and she speaks for the first time, introducing Captain Roger Healy to her husband. 
and then he's left with two cigarettes in his mouth. <laughs> but what I want to say about her is she looks like a young woman, right? Yeah. Her husband walks up and he looks like he's 60 years old. <laughs> he looks older than Dr. Bellows. He has pure white salt and pepper hair. She's the trophy wife, obviously. Yeah, yes. But this is what we imagine the Playboy Mansion is, right? I mean, it's young women with old men. The wealthy and influential P.J. Ferguson and his beautiful daughter, Nina. She has a very Veruca Salt relationship with her dad. Yeah, she's totally Veruca Salt. It really reinforces the idea that she's just a brat. She's not a scheming, calculating woman to challenge Jeannie. She's just a kid. Well, she's both. (laughs) Okay. She's a scheming, calculating kid with a dad who backs her up. I mean, she would have no power if it wasn't for her father. He seems very interested in getting her sex, which is the creepy, weird part. It's like, oh my gosh. Bizarre. Well, honey, how are you getting along with young Nelson? I want him. That's my girl. Straight and to the point. I'll say one thing for Tony. He's miles above those spineless fortune hunters I've had to chase off. If we only had more time together... You leave it to your old dad. Thank you, darling. Yuck. Yuck. That is so gross. Procure for me, Daddy. (laughs) I can't imagine ever having said something like that to my dad. No. I want him, Daddy. I mean, I might have said... You can't keep me in. I'm going to jump out the window and go hang with my friends. But I wouldn't have said, I really want to be with Joe, you know, or whatever it was. That just seems crazy. Well, Captain, you having fun? Yes, sir, Mr. Ferguson. Great party. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. PJ and Nina want to derail Tony's life. This is literally summing up the storyline of the first four episodes with Sheila and General Stone all over again, but at high speed. Yeah. Tony, have you ever thought of what you're going to be doing 20 years from today? <laughs> Probably flying economy tours to Mars. Well, I'm going to be frank with you. I need a capable young man like you in my firm. Someone who can take over for me one day. Tony is flattered, but being an astronaut is what he really wants to do. Space is his life's work. Well, with Ferguson Aerospace, you'd still be a very important part of it. Does it make sense? I don't know, sir. Frankly, I I don't think I'd be capable of it. Uh, We're sailing for NASA in the morning. Come with us. We'll have a lot of time to think it over, and we can all become better acquainted. Well, I'd certainly like to. But I'm doing some very important research, and I'm afraid it'd be impossible. Nothing's impossible. You leave it to me. There you are, darling. Will you excuse us, Daddy? She kisses her father again because it was at least three minutes since she touched and kissed him. So she did it again. (laughs) And then she grabs Tony and like a little child taking him back to her room to show her dolls, runs away with him. Hello, Mrs. Flaherty. I I forgot you were coming. It's Thursday. Mrs. Flaherty is played by Sandra Gould. She is a chipmunk-faced actress who has a Betty Boop voice that really belongs in Brooklyn and not Cocoa Beach. She's probably most famous for taking on the role of Gladys Kravitz on Bewitched, season three, through the end of the series. All right, Adna, now tell me I'm crazy. Now tell me I'm making things up. Barrett is a full-grown house that grew up out of nowhere. See for yourself. Gladys, how can I see for myself? I'm in the doctor's office. 
Alice Pierce, who played the original Gladys Kravitz, became very ill. She had a long, painful fight with cancer, and she passed away at the end of second season of Mm -hmm. Bewitched. How sad. It is quite sad. And honestly, I always loved the first Gladys Kravitz best. Now, Mrs. Kravitz, this time I saw you do it. I saw it. I caught you red-handed. I was just hanging pictures. From 10 feet away? Oh, all along, I've said there were crazy things going on in this house. People appearing and disappearing and furniture moving around. It must be your imagination. I have no imagination. She was definitely the best Gladys Kravitz. Tony's housekeeper, Mrs. Flaherty. The funny part in this scene to me is she comes in. She's going to clean up. He says he forgot she was coming. And she says... You having an orgy? You having an orgy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? It's a what? casual dropping of the word orgy. What? Thank you, Sydney Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> what? Jeannie can't show her abdomen, and yet the cleaning lady thinks Major Nelson is having orgies? That is bizarre. A group of my friends dropped in. I'm going to be leaving town for a few days. Uh, would you mind tidying up a little bit? Sure. Oh, uh, don't use the vacuum cleaner. There's something wrong with it. I'm short, I think. He tells her not to vacuum. Goodbye, Mrs. Flaherty. I'll see you next week. Bye. You gotta be touched to be one of those astronauts. Must be the thin air. Poor dears. She doesn't really think that Tony was having an orgy. She was just making a little joke. A shocking little joke. Maybe, I guess. (laughs) I mean, people that are quite sweet and godly often accuse others of being sinful and bad. This is true. (laughs) And they always say God bless, but it's often kind of a snide comment. This is true as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there may have been sarcasm in her voice. I don't know. Hmm. Judgment. Judgment. There's always judgment. What I was thinking of during this entire scene is how terrible the writing is, especially for Mrs. Flaherty. They have her actually announce every single thing that she is doing. And it's not sufficient that she goes into the closet, picks out the vacuum cleaner. She actually describes word for word every action just to herself because Tony has left. It's awful. It is awful. Well, no wonder the vacuum cleaner wouldn't work. It has a handkerchief stuck in it. Won't he be pleased when I fix it? The other thing that strikes me here is that we're going from scene to scene to scene to just put this plot together. Yeah. It seems like this whole plot could have been achieved in fewer scenes with more depth and interesting stuff to watch. I think I stumbled on a secret weapon! (laughs) So now they're back on the ship. It's daytime. Tony's on his belly. Nina's rubbing suntan lotion on him. I have many things to say about this visual. So first, can you tell me what you think of Nina's swimsuit, Molly? I actually quite like it. It is a childish swimsuit, though. You wouldn't see Jeannie wearing that swimsuit. That is more of a teenage girl swimsuit from that era. Mm -hmm. It's got a high neckline. The top is, you know what it reminds me of, the look is kind of like a sports bra. Okay. With a higher neckline and sleeves. And she does have a bare midriff, to be sure. But she's wearing stretchy briefs 
on the bottom. So that are sort of what she's wearing on the bottom would now be called kind of like granny panties. Exactly. Because <laughs> they are so covering and they go so high that they actually cover her navel, don't they? I believe so. Yeah. Which is very important at this time period. Tony, for some reason that is just baffling to me, seems to have some kind of cushion in his trunks to poof up his bottom. He has no ass. <laughs> <laughs> so they put, they put, they just picked like a like a seat from a bar stool and stuck it in there. <laughs> they realized that America was going to see him lying on his stomach with his ass in the air, and he has no ass. And somehow that was upsetting. So they decided to remedy it by giving him a butt pad. <laughs> <laughs> it looks ridiculous. He has a delightful tan, though. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, I kind of like this swimsuit, perhaps it's a Gidget swimsuit, right? I would agree. Yeah, Yeah, it was really meant for Gidget. So it's kind of creating a Gidget-like persona for her. And then she's rubbing suntan lotion onto his back in a way that is possibly obscene. much better than being cooped up in some silly little capsule. Mm, it's not a little capsule. It's a rather large capsule. <laughs> and it's not silly. Mm, I'm sorry. That's all right. In the conversation, Nina makes it clear that despite her father being a magnet in the aerospace industry and the military-industrial complex, she has no understanding or respect for what Tony does for a living. So why does she want him? It's just because she finds him cute. I think so. That's it. I think most of I Dream of Genie relationships just operate on baseline physical attraction. That's it. You know, the obscene part of the... Suntan lotion rubbing, yeah? Yes. Right, right, up, right, 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 up, 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 up. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why anyone would ever want to be an astronaut in the first place, darling, I'll never know. And as she moves it up, she goes back and forth faster and faster and faster vigorously rubs his shoulder. (sighs) It doesn't look like it would feel good, anything she's doing. (laughs) It just looks a little psychotic. Excuse me, Miss Ferguson. Your father requests you join him in the salon. Oh, thank you, Albert. Tell him I'll be right there. Yes, ma'am. We get an appearance by Albert, an Asian houseboy who arrives with a message for Nina. There's always an Asian houseboy. <laughs> this is our second Asian houseboy on I Dream of Jeannie, so it might be a thing. They are obsessed with Asian houseboys. Sydney Sheldon, what's going on? Maybe the idea is just a trapping of luxury and wealth. To be fair, he's an Asian yacht boy. <laughs> this is technically true. He seems very well-mannered, and at least he's given the dignity of having his own voice, which is not some sort of pigeon English... He seems well healed. Yes. Asian house boys. It's here where I think the real time wasting of the episode begins. We get our first bout of real physical comedy where Tony tries to relax in a hammock. Oh yeah, and the hammock keeps falling over. It's clearly Genie off screen making him prat fall out. Yep. A secret mission, huh? She did not leave many secrets. What what are you doing here? I told you to wait in your vacuum cleaner. Then she pops up, wardrobe, 
What is she wearing, and why is she wearing it? <laughs> what do you think of Jeannie's outfit, Molly? This is the second time that we're getting to see her in civvies. It's such an unusual choice. So it is presumably the middle of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Tony and Nina were engaging in yacht suntanning activities in their swimsuits, and Jeannie comes in this very elegant coat that looks like it's velvet lined mm-hmm. and silken yellow on the outside. She's wearing pearls, and her hair is clearly done up in an evening manner. She's dressed for a night out. Yeah. An, an elegant night out. I wonder if they initially had her show up at the party and they already bought the outfit (laughs) and then they decided later, no, let's have her show up a little bit later. Wardrobe said, we already bought the outfit. Well, use it anyway. (laughs) Okay. So she arrives in an evening outfit for no apparent reason. She looks kind of cool, actually. I like it. I, I mean, I like the outfit. It's nice. Nobody ever wears these colors together anymore, maroon and yellow. You tricked me. I had to. I told you, this is business. Business seems to be very good. (laughs) Now, you've got to get out of here and go back home. Oh, but you will get into trouble if I leave you, Master. You need me. (laughs) Well, I need you like I need a hole in my my space cell. (laughs) You want to get rid of me so you can be alone with that long-legged one. I do want to point another thing out, though. Nina was wearing pumps. You always notice the shoes, and I never notice the shoes. I think it's because they need to continue this myth that she's very (laughs) long-legged. They've got her in these blue. They don't match her outfit at all. They look like the pumps she was wearing the night before that she just kept on while she was swimming for no apparent reason. Whatever it is, it's a wasted effort. She looks like a member of the Lollipop League. She does. I do not want to get rid of you. It's just that I've had enough. All I want is to make you happy. And all you're doing is to make me miserable. It's getting so I can't draw an easy breath, wondering when you're going to pop up. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. I'm desperate. Jeannie and Tony start talking, and Nina and her father, whom she was beckoned to go see, are standing in the parlor. And what is weird about this scene? Frank. Well, they're spying on Tony having this conversation with a woman who's come out of nowhere. Throughout this whole scene, they're holding hands. Are you kidding me? What the fuck? Sidney Sheldon. (laughs) Maybe you could imagine if something so terrible as somebody getting pushed off a boat occurred and you were standing next to your father, you might grab his hand. I I get that. But this is before anything's even happened. They're just standing there holding hands, and then they notice Tony with this strange woman. And after they think she's fallen off the ship, they break their hand holding so that they can run out and look for her overboard. So demented. The subtext is so demented. Nina runs out in her pump. (laughs) She's got a terry cloth cover-up and pumps on. As you wish. Bon voyage. Thanks. (laughs) Goodbye. Where is she? Huh? She's gone. Jeannie vanishes, and in the moment that it takes Nina and her father to run outside, they assume that Tony must have murdered Jeannie by pushing her overboard. And it's remarkable to me how quickly both PJ and Nina turn on Tony. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's no love lost. There's no, No. how could we have been so wrong about this guy? Right away, everything changes. Yeah, they go from wanting him as a family member to complete spite. 
Tony, we've searched the entire ship. She's not aboard. And there was no trace of her in the water. Of course, with all the sharks... There was no girl. But we saw her. No. Tony, we heard the whole argument up to the point when you pushed her overboard. Well, wait a minute. You think I pushed her overboard? Pushed who overboard? I, uh, <laughs> nobody. No. Oh, Tony, I deal in facts. The fact is that somehow you managed to smuggle a girlfriend aboard. She was not my girlfriend. Who? Nobody. Tony, then you told her to go home and wait for you. Tony, we're only trying to help you. I swear, there was no girl on board that ship. And I'm telling the truth. You are? Then you'd better start thinking up some lies. Because there isn't a jury in the world that wouldn't hang you. To talk about writing, <laughs> I can imagine a way of setting up the second half of the show much more simply than the last half of the show, the wrongly accused man in jail trying to plead for... We'll see this a, a million times in Genie as well as in Bewitched, where the male lead is in some sort of trouble after they've pissed off the magical person with the power, mm -hmm. and they have to beg for their forgiveness uh, in order to get them to rescue them, and then all is forgiven. That's just a classic trope in these magical shows. Now, next scene. Tony is in prison. Which is hilarious as a person who's actually worked in a prison can tell you. <laughs> He's fully dressed with his overcoat and his tie. Nobody gets to take their tie into a jail cell after they've been arrested for obvious reasons. It doesn't make any sense at all. He's a murderer and they didn't <laughs> and he's caught. And they didn't take away his means to do away with himself, lonely in that jail cell. It's just ridiculous. And then they let his friends in to visit fully clothed with all their sharp metals on and everything and nobody's watching yeah it's just uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry that's just my i'm just trying no to... i love it yeah <laughs> so roger healy comes to visit him well it's bigger than a capsule <laughs> smaller than a bread box <laughs> roger i need your help i'd do anything in the world for you my friend i believe in you thanks Raj. why'd you kill her i didn't kill her you can help me prove it what do you want me to do? He has to somehow get a message to Jeannie, and he can't just yell like he does in other occasions. Because if he's in his office or somewhere else, he just says, Jeannie, and she comes right away. But here, I guess because she's angry, she's not going to come if he yells, but he didn't even try. And so he has to cook up a plot for Roger to go to the house and try to convince Jeannie to come, to let her know that he's in trouble. I want you to go to my house. Mm -hmm. what, 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 want me to bring back something? No, 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 no. Just what, go to my house. What for? I want you to talk to it. <laughs> you want me to go to your house and talk to it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> house is like, uh, like a living thing. Over the years, it develops uh, vibrations. Uh, you know, like a dog. <laughs> your house is like a dog. <laughs> well, have you ever noticed how people and their dogs look alike? Well, it's the same with houses. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, I've noticed that. Now, I want you to go in the living room. I want you to talk to the walls. Is there anything particular you want me to say to him? Uh, uh, say, Tony's in trouble. Tony's in trouble? Tony needs you. Tony needs you? Tony, uh, Tony's very fond of you. Tony's very fond of you. But you're hurting him. But you're hurting him. Deeply. Deeply. Uh, if you realized how, how much you were hurting him, you wouldn't be doing it. If you realized how much you were hurting him, you wouldn't be doing it. That's it. Now, is there any particular wall you're close to? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Try the, the wall nearest the fireplace. The wall near the fireplace. Nice, warm wall. Uh, oh, oh, and, and have a word with my vacuum cleaner, too. It's in the hall closet. I wouldn't leave without saying hello to your vacuum cleaner. Thanks. Thanks, Raj. 
I'm depending on you. Promise me you'll do this. It means life or death. I know it sounds far out, but... Far out? <laughs> I'll be glad to do it. <laughs> Guard! Uh, this entire thing is so belabored. <sighs> you can tell that they're even getting tired of doing this and that they're getting to the critical point where they can no longer keep Jeannie a secret from the rest of the cast of characters. It's just arbitrary whether they're going to decide that Jeannie is constantly observing Major Nelson or completely out of reach. There's just like no rhyme or reason to when that happens or doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, I think they're tired of it. They cook up the scheme for Roger to go and talk to the house, which of course he thinks is crazy, but he does it anyway because he's the goofball Roger. So we get to see Roger driving to the house. Anytime now that they show anyone driving, any place, I just think that they're trying to fill space. And this is the second notable area of the story where it just feels like filler. We see Roger driving up. We see him parking his car in the driveway. We see him exiting his car and closing the door. We see him putting the key in the keyhole and opening the door. This takes a lot of time, actually. <laughs> it's, and somewhere in the middle of all this, there's a titter of laughter from the laugh track for no fucking good reason. <laughs> I mean, nothing's happening. <laughs> is it nervous anticipation of the fact that Roger's going to have to talk to the house? I don't think so. I think they just <laughs> realize that this is just too boring. They need to have something to interrupt the monotony of this real-time event. Hello. Roger is carrying out Tony's wishes and speaking to the house, and Jeannie appears and is peeking over his shoulder, watching him curiously. She's getting the message. Dr. Bellows makes his second tiny appearance in this episode. Doesn't knock, just walks straight into the house and sneaks up behind Roger, who is talking and demands to know what's going on. Be a pal just as once. Captain Healy. Yes, sir. What were you doing? I was talking to the wall, sir. May I ask why? Yes, sir. Uh, Tony asked me to. I know this sounds wild, sir, but you see, houses get to be your friends like dogs, and Tony wanted the walls to know he was in trouble. He wanted the walls to know he was in trouble. This wall's a particular friend of his. I think you'd better get back to the base, Captain. I'll take over. There's more here than meets the eye. Sir, couldn't I just have a couple of more minutes? What for? Well, Tony asked me to have a talk with his vacuum cleaner. <laughs> hmm. I'll talk to him. You run along. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's in the closet. Comedy gold. Well, anyway, Roger leaves in a hurry. Bellows starts talking to the house because he's always somehow roped into acting crazy. <laughs> Classic psychiatrist. And then eventually we get to the point where Jeannie shows up in the jail cell, right? We return to the jail cell and Jeannie pops in wearing her beautiful evening outfit. What is an asshole? Don't go away. Stay right where you are. Oh, First you tell me to leave you and never come back, and then you say, Jeannie, stay where you are. Don't go away. Well, what is it you really want of me? I want you to stay right where you are. And now Tony is being forced to do the thing he's been avoiding since episode one, which is reveal Jeannie's existence to everyone. If I stay, will you make me a promise? Anything, anything you want. You will not put me in the vacuum cleaner again. Well, of course not. That was a terrible thing to do. 
that woman with the bad legs. You will not see her again? Oh, she didn't have bad legs. I'll never see her again. You will take me to the beach tonight? Yes, Jenny. Anywhere you want to go. Oh, you are wonderful. I will stay. The one episode general pops in to see what Tony needs. General, Mr. Ferguson. PJ Ferguson is there with him, and he identifies Jeannie as the woman from the yacht, and she says very proudly, That's the girl on the yacht. Just call me Jeannie. Yes, just call her Jeannie. And we think that we're at a big turn in the series. But it'll be more business as usual for a couple more episodes. Well, I'm glad to know that. (laughs) (laughs) So Roger, for some reason, comes and picks up all Tony's yacht clothes. Yeah, his boating togs. He's giving them away. (laughs) Very. This is a weird capper of a scene. I'm not sure why it's happening. Genie pops up, and now they're going to have their time together. A tiny, tiny genie is speaking to Tony from the lip of her bottle. They're talking about where to go, and Tony said, now we can go to the beach. The phone rings, and she said, no, let's go somewhere where where we won't be interrupted. And I have a huge problem with this capper, which is all of those wasted little bits of scenes that we've done already. And the one thing that they could have shown that wouldn't have been that hard, but probably required new wardrobe or you know, a new scene, is to actually show them going to the beach. Yeah. Why couldn't they have just ended with Jeannie and Tony strolling on the beach or something like that? But no, instead, it's a secret thing where she brings him into the bottle with her. Yep. Jeannie wants their date to be in her bottle, so she turns Tony into a column of pink smoke, and the show ends as he's getting sucked in. You know what could have happened here is that cleaning lady could come back. Mrs. Flaherty? Yeah, Mrs. Flaherty, and just put the cap on the bottle. And they would have been stuck together forever. Yeah, and then we wouldn't have to watch any more episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Because who's going to rescue them? No one's going to come in and take the cap. I guess Uh eventually they'll have an estate sale or something when Tony's gone missing and everyone (laughs) finally decides that he's actually dead and then someone will come. (laughs) Some little kid will take the bottle and put it in her dollhouse, back to the dollhouse, and then one day she'll take the cap off and these two people will come out. And then we start a new show. I like that way better. (laughs) I smell fan fiction. (laughs) Oh, I think I hear the music. Must be time for us to go. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week for another episode of I Dream of Genie. In the meantime, you can listen to other shows on the Piwacket Podcast Network. The Brothers Grimmer with Bert and Fran. Knuckle Sandwiches with Jason and Frank. And Kindred Spirits with Stephen and Bert. Well, until next time. Until next time.
Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. Now it's your turn to say the yacht murder case. The yacht murder case. <laughs> the yacht murder case. I think that was the second one was the one I'll take I'll use. <laughs> okay. The yacht murder case. I don't have much reason to say the word yacht in my life. <laughs> it sticks it's in your craw. Fanciful <laughs> magical word to me. Nothing I've ever really had anything to do with. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to ask you another question, and this is an aside. Sure, of course. So, Tony Nelson is referred to as a captain. Yes. And is it Captain Healy? Yes, they're both captains for this first season, and then they get promoted to major, which is why, to your ear, you probably often think of Major Healy. Major Nelson, because you probably heard that in many more reruns of I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, that's right. And Captain Nelson didn't strike me as, as weird as Captain Healy. Yeah, he's he's a captain for, for now. They're, they're both on equal footing. All right, all right. So they get simultaneous promotions. Okay. Uh, she was in A Million Things, My Favorite Martian, uh, Wagon Train, Bob Hope, Presents, The Chrysler Theater, Gunsmoke, The Beverly Hillbillies. She was in an episode of everything. Uh, this is her only episode of I Dream of Jeannie. And I don't know that she looked like she was a regular on any show. Maybe she was a real asshole. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe she had a rich daddy w- that would get her parts like, um, all the time, is... and then they'd never have her back because she was just so unbearable on the set. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Hawaii Five-O. She played Detective Lori Wilson. I never watched that show, but she mm. had a run. She had a running gig for three years on Hawaii Five-O. Yeah, I, I'd say she's. Uh, oh, and she's a she's a soap opera actress. She was also in The Young and the Restless. They make a big deal of her legs, and I want to say this too: long legged. She's. She's short. She's short. <laughs> How yeah, long we'll, could her legs be? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's certainly Jeannie's biggest complaint, but we'll get to that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Again. they couldn't think of anything else to say about her, so they talked about something that was mostly off camera. Well, yeah. Also, <laughs> <laughs> they wrote a shitty script, and then they completely miscast the role, <laughs> and then they didn't go back and change the script. <laughs> Hey, yeah. they're on a TV schedule. It's 1965. They've got to turn these suckers out. Just to digress for a moment and talk about the, <laughs> the storyline in this script, as I said earlier, it's just psychotic. You know, it's just like you just go from one thing to the next. You don't really have a chance to buy in or develop any section of it. I had a very hard time just getting with the story, even though it's a super simple story. Oh, yeah. At some clear point in this episode... They run out of script. Yes. And they are just stretching it out. Yes. Lots of filler. They totally do. 
uh, we should get back to the action. Though. All right, all right. So they're introduced, and all of a sudden, Tony thinks, well, this is not such a bad rap. I get to be with this little girl with the orange lipstick and giant hat on. Bow I get under to feel like chin. a big brother. Yeah, yeah. Their handshake lasts way too long. He has to uncomfortably kind of unattached from her hand. <laughs> um, she is already starting to talk in the sexy woman thing that every, every woman does on this when they meet Tony. She can't pull it off. No. The word orgy gets mentioned in a very wholesome American musical, Bye Bye Birdie, which is from 1963, which is two years earlier. So it, it actually had entered the lexicon, but still the implication is fairly shocking. It just seems so inconsistent to me with the other things that are censored. And in Bye Bye Birdie, when it gets mentioned, it's uttered by a teenager who has no idea what it means. When they were on the yacht for the yacht party, Roger makes the joke of, if that's what Nina looks like, he'd like to know what the Pinta and the Santa Maria look like. Yes. It is the lamest joke, and you, you get the sense that the only reason the character was named Nina was to set up that incredibly lame joke. Yes, that is definitely true. And yet, I kind of love that joke. <laughs> Not so because it was funny, but because <laughs> when I was growing up, we had, as a decoration in our house, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria where? I don't understand. It's just like, you know, just those little model ships. Okay. And uh, then they'd have the word Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria painted on the on the sides of them. But I'm sorry, but where did you have them? They were just on display? Uh, were they ships in a bottle? Were they attached were to not... a wall? Are they sitting on a shelf? <laughs> I don't get it. I think they were on the fireplace mantle. Okay. And they, they were not in a bottle. They were just ships. And so it was one of my favorite things that, you know, how you're not supposed to touch things. Sure, of course. That I would just love to take down those ships and play with them. And then, of course, I learned the, the valuable history lesson about what they meant and what they were, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And I actually wondered, I, was, I watched this episode originally with Brian, and I asked if he got that joke. <laughs> and he's like, he gave me a really dirty look. Um, but, but I wonder if young people would get that joke. Like, uh, maybe? Well, I, I think Columbus has been de-emphasized a bit in history classes. Well, history lessons in a way. Well, de-emphasized and re-evaluated. So, um, but I would think that children should still learn. Well... That is such a funny line from you. I would think the children should still learn. Should. Me and my shoulds. Me, the non-parent, saying what children should be doing. Yes. You should just put a little bit more of like a, a high-class British accent on yeah. there. Or you could just like uh, glue my teeth together and deliver it in a real Thurston Howell Long Island lock draw. Yes. I think the children should still learn. <laughs> and the most important thing to learn about Columbus was that his... His ships were called the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And why is that important? So we can make cheesy jokes later on about it on <laughs> I Dream of Genie episodes. <laughs> well, we still have a third of the show to go through, so let's keep moving. <laughs> oh, I thought it was No, over. we've been talking for an hour. We've only gotten through a third. Come on, let's keep moving. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so man overboard, blah, blah, blah. 